Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition back with a bang after a slate of cancellations the WSL returns with a full fixture list. Coming up on this show it's tough at the top Chelsea edge out United and a title thriller at Kings Meadow. Seventh heaven city power through isolation issues to smash seven past Villa. Neville no more. Phil leaves England early. And we'll also be joined by Bristol City's Gemma Purfield to chat about the club's quest for WSL survival and life under temporary manager Matt Beard. I'm Lindsay Hooper. I'm joined by Kate Borsay and BBC Sports Chris Slegg. So let's crack on with the show. There's only one place to start and that's at Kings Meadow where there was an epic battle between the two top teams. But with the ball in and the header cleared off the line by Amy Turner. Another chance for Kirby! And off the post, and now it's turned in. It's Penilla harder for Chelsea. The champions in front at Kings Meadow. James, might have heard Casey Stoney there saying, get LJ on the ball. She's on it now. And she might hit this, you know, she did. And she scores. How about that from Lauren James? And that's what happens when you get her on the ball. Oh, Frank Kirby could be in here. It's a lapse at the bat from United. Kirby! It's the woman in form. It's Frank Kirby for Chelsea. Chelsea went top of the table on goal difference with a thrilling win over United. Frank Kirby continued her incredible form, scoring a fifth goal in two games. United thought they'd claimed a point when substitute Lauren James scored a fantastic equaliser, a right-footed shot dipping into the bottom corner. But a simple ball over the top was too much for United's defence as Kirby slid the winner past United goalkeeper Mary Earps. The game finished Chelsea 2, Manchester United 1. Chelsea level Manchester City's WSL record of 31 games unbeaten. Chris, let's bring you into this one. The same fixture was a draw, wasn't it, right at the beginning of the season? What was the difference in this one for you? Well, I think Emma Hayes alluded to it at the end. It's experience that she's made. She's made great play of that all the way through this season. I think she wants to get that message home, you know, to her players every week. Really, that we are the favourites to win this league, so we should win it. Um, I was lucky enough to speak to her last summer. She kindly wrote the forward to the, the latest edition of the Women's Football Yearbook. And she was hammering that point home with me then that she said, you know, she's been there nine years now. She knows exactly what she wants from every game, from every competition. It feels to me like this is the first season where she really knows that she can definitely go um, for the Champions League. So I think her and her players go into every game knowing that we, we should perform to our potential and we should win this match, whoever it's against. And I mean, what is great to see from a neutral perspective that is the two games Manchester United have played against Chelsea this season have been very, very tight contests. As you mentioned, a draw and a match here this weekend where Manchester United go away from home, take on the champions, and they're, they're still in it for the for the entire 90 minutes. And it's, it's brilliant to see a new team. We've become used to the big three. It's great to see Manchester United 
in there. You know, Lindsay, Chelsea really could have been so many more goals to the good, especially in the first half. Several missed chances by Sam Kerr. They brought their big guns back. We had Penny Lahada, G, Captain Eriks, and Mielder also back. So, you know, a very strong side from Emma Hayes. And they probably could have got the job done in the first half. I, th- I think, yeah, with, with some better finishing. I mean, a couple of chances that Kerr fashioned were tough. They, they were difficult ones to finish off. And there were another couple where you thought, actually, this is where I, I thought she would have scored here. And we've been saying that all season about her form. And actually, Mary Earps, I thought, had a very good game in the Manchester United goal. And do you know what? When they, when they do the close-ups of the facial expressions... The only time I ever really saw fear in her eyes was when she was facing Frank Kirby. I don't think mm. she ever felt that troubled by any of the others. I mean, the, obviously, there, were, there was a great team goal and it, it was a close finish for Penila Harder. There's not much you can do about that sort of team play. But I mean, when she was through one-on-one, if, if she had just one striker running at her, it was when Frank Kirby was coming towards her that she looked a bit more fearful, I thought. And I think that's the difference. You know, title-winning sides. I was trying to look at this, you know, clash at the top of WSL. What is the big difference? I know that we're going to speak to Michael Cox and he'll go into some analysis detail of what he thinks. But ultimately, I think for Chelsea, they have players at their peak that are on the top of their game and Frank Kirby is one of them. And I think if you're facing them at the moment, in particular, the likes of her, Harder, uh, I mean, she is always so good and reliable. I think there's a lot of fear there because they really are at the top of their game. Whereas I think Manchester United, as well as they're doing this season, they've shown they're there to go for the title. I think they're really the ones to watch over the next couple of years because I think the players that they've got will be hitting their peak in, in one or two years time talking of those players Chris we've got to talk about Lauren James's superb finish oh just awesome wasn't it not just the finish but the build-up play as well just so clever on the ball the way she took it down and played in the teammate received it and then yeah the finish was out class and it was brilliant to hear Casey Stoney wasn't it almost that premonition of get LJ on the ball and then within seconds she'd put it in the back of the net. I love the way she's um, LJ to everyone now isn't it? You can't say Lauren James anymore folks. It's just a shame actually that they didn't I'm LJ. For a bit longer. (laughs) Too many LJs. Too Um, many LJs. Yeah it's a shame they they weren't level at one all for just a bit longer wasn't it because you know four minutes later um, Burger's clearance and then Kirby's on the end of it and I just wonder what, what might have happened if, if they had just you know regained their composure and, and kept it a one-all for another 10 minutes or so but yeah awesome finish from Lauren James so much excitement still only 19 she's got a, an amazing career yeah so much yeah especially internationally as well good news for England um, well let's get more on the ins and outs of the game now Michael Cox covering it for the Athletic and he's got a piece up at the moment um, really focusing on Manchester United's pressing and how that's so important to the way that they work Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month as a New Year's resolution? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash offside. Well, let's bring in Michael Cox now of The Athletic. Uh, It's a very short walk from your house to King's Meadow, isn't it, Michael? Yeah, about 10 minutes is very convenient. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, very much enjoyed 
I think it was the first actual thing I've done all year. So I very much enjoyed going <laughs> to the game. Yeah. Well, you've covered Chelsea, um, I know, throughout the season. We've spoken to you about it before, uh, probably a couple of months ago now. I wonder if you've seen any chains change in the Chelsea team or has Emma Hayes pretty much stuck to her guns? She's certainly got a fantastic rotor of players to call on. And that's that's part of the gift for her, I suppose, isn't it? She's working to get to this position where she's got, you know, really world-class players uh, in every position and more than one, ideally. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it was incredible. Well, it's, it's often incredible, actually, to look at the benches on the team sheet these days. And, and we saw that when Chelsea were 2-1 up. The fact that she could bring on Ingle and Reeton and uh, Bethany England up front shows the strength and depth. I thought in terms of how she started, it was interesting that Frank Kirby played through the middle. Um, obviously, he scored four against Reading the previous week and her pacing behind in combination with Sam Kerr really was the main factor in, in Chelsea's attack. And obviously, that meant that Peniel Harder was playing from the right. And I think that, you know, is a great show of, of confidence in Frank Kirby. I'm sure that Harder wants to play in a kind of number 10 position, second striker position. But Kirby's obviously the player in form and... Uh, yeah, if the most expensive player in the WSL is moving out wide to accommodate you in your best position, that's a you know a great show of faith from Emma Hayes, and obviously she uh, she showed that it was a good move by scoring the winning goal. The article that you've written, Michael, it's it's all to do with the press factor at Manchester United and the way that Chelsea managed to thwart that. So enlighten us as to how they did. Yeah, that was the most interesting factor of the game for me. I mean, there's statistics that demonstrate that. So far this season, Manchester United have, have taken the most shots, having won the ball in the final third and indeed scored the, the most goals from, from those situations. And yeah, it was all for me, it was all about how Chelsea could deal with that. And I think they did it in three ways. One, they switched the play quite well. Um, I thought Aaron Cuthbert was quite intelligent at doing that. Second, um, Magdalene Eriksson, I thought was the best player on the pitch, both defensively and on the ball. And I, I think she's just got this real confidence in possession that when she's confronted with the press she can just beat a tackle and and that almost gets around it but yeah the main factor really was just the speed in behind the high defensive line of Manchester United I must say I didn't it's kind of funny covering these games because one we don't get replays and two there's no crowds so sometimes you don't completely sense how big chances are but having watched the game back and particularly the first 15 minutes I hadn't quite realized how good those chances were for Sam Kerr um and yeah just just the speed in behind in the early stages was important. And then with the winning goal from Kirby, which I think you can look at that in isolation and think it's, you know, it's obviously a, a very poor goal for Manchester United to concede just a long ball down and the two turners not really dealing with it in the air. But I did think that kind of goal was on for Chelsea throughout the game, just speed in behind, the ball in behind, because I think that's where the space was because United were, were very compact and very just very energetic in their press in higher positions. So the space really for, for Chelsea yeah. was, was always in behind. Yeah, yeah, always always available to to exploit that space at some point. Uh, it's quite funny that you mentioned Sam Kerr. I'm now kind of clocking up a little um, uh, a little tally of what I like to call the Sam Kerr exhale. Uh, it's when she turns her head to the side and just goes, and she shakes her head <laughs> like that. And um, uh, we obviously saw quite a bit of it. Three chances, you know, two really, really quick chances early on, then followed by another one, another one in the second half as well. Obviously, Chelsea, you know, let's not, underestimate the work that she's doing when she's not scoring goals but if we take a side like Chelsea and a mega signing like her obviously Chelsea can absorb the fact that she's not scoring goals because there's so much threat from other positions if they couldn't do that if they hadn't been able to do that 
would she still have been a good signing for not knocking the goals in that perhaps she should have done? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I, I do slightly wonder whether they would have gone for her if they knew they were getting Peniel Harder in the summer because you know, Harder, Kerr and England probably don't fit together, certainly not in these big games. You wonder whether they would have just been happy with, with um, Harder behind uh, England. But I think the interesting thing for me in this game was that I mean, if you go back to the Community Shield, Sam Kerr missed a lot of chances, but they were kind of chances that had been laid on a plate for her and, and she kind of messed up the finish. Whereas this time around, I think at least two of her chances were she'd really initiated good one-twos and had, had been involved in the move leading up to the chance. So I think in those situations, you can say, OK, she's missing chances, but, you know, she almost she's earned the right to miss them by the fact that she's helped create them, if that makes sense. And I think, yeah, she is She is more than a goal scorer, isn't she? But, I mean, I did think that the finishing wasn't just, it wasn't just inaccurate to me. It slightly smacks of a player who's lacking confidence. There was one with the outside of her right foot. I thought that was a strange way to take that chance. And also another one where she tried uh, squaring for, for Frank Kirby, which was very selfless. But you kind of think, uh, you know, Sam Kerr in form, probably takes on that shot and, and probably scores it. What What is there left for Manchester United to do? Um, because we've seen very tight games. Casey Stoney clearly has got a real tune out of her players. What's What's the next thing that she can do that if they if they face each other again, um, they would come out on top? I think after the game, she was quite interesting. I mean, obviously, Casey Stoney is really quite an exciting manager, I think. And one of the things I like about her is I, I just think she's very good at analysing games afterwards. And, you know, she doesn't, she, she never really blames anyone. She kind of, she's very, um, you she understands why she's lost the game or why she's won the game. And I think that shows that she's, you know, obviously a very good tactician. And she, she basically said that the pressing was really good. They need to be better on the ball in terms of their possession play. And I think that's true. Obviously, they're without um, Tobin Heath for this one. Not quite sure what the drama was, but she was on and off the pre-match team sheet a couple of times in in, in the warm-up. Obviously, wasn't fully fit, but I think they missed her quality. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think they need to they need a bit more time together. They need to just become more cohesive. Whether that's specific things they work on on the training ground or just getting to know each other on the pitch. But yeah, I, I think they're really exciting. I think the way that they're organised without the boys is excellent. You know, as I said in this article, in terms of winning the ball high up the pitch, they're the best in the league at that. I think they're quite a different type of side to, you know, the established forces of of City and Chelsea and uh, and Arsenal in the sense they're probably, yeah, they're better without the ball than they are with it at the moment. I think, you know, she's almost doing a Jurgen Klopp job rather than a Pep Guardiola job, if I can put it that way. Um, But yeah, I think they're going to get better. And uh, I thought both teams came out quite well from this, actually. I thought United for the way they competed and Chelsea for finding a way to uh, to get the win. I just thought it was a uh, a good quality game and also a really high tempo game. I think in terms of the tempo, United have to take the credit for that for their for their heavy pressing. I'm sure they both had a wry smile as well when they saw the results later in Arsenal in particular, which we'll come on to. Thanks very much, Coxie. Some great points there and you can read them in full in Coxie's article with The Athletic. It's online at the moment. Thank you for that. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. 
Okay, well, let's move on to another side. They're at a title contender, Manchester City. They battled through isolation issues, which left several key players out and manager Gareth Taylor too. He wasn't there to see it, um, but it didn't stop them easing their way to a 7-0 win over Aston Villa. Millie Davis and Alicia Window made their senior debuts for City. Plenty of goals to talk about in this one, Chris. Uh, let's give credit uh, to City before we discuss what went wrong t- for Aston Villa. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and also, you know, even even with a squad as, as big and as, as rich in talent as, as Man City have, they did have a lot to deal with there with, with several key players missing. And, you know, Jill Scott coming back in and the sort of performance we've become accustomed to her, from her over the years, uh, getting a goal, a few assists as well. And, you know, with Aston Villa, I, I, I fear for them as well, but I think they'll have just about enough to to stay up. But it's... It, they're almost too true to their principles, always trying to play out from the back and, and, and putting their goalkeepers under so much pressure. And, you know, to, to find yourself 2-0 down, uh, sorry, 1-0 down after just two minutes is, you know, to go to one of the, the best clubs in the in the division and, 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 and think that you're going to be able to take the game to them and get off to a nightmare start like that. Um you're just going to give yourself such a mountain to climb. But yeah, I mean, a lot of standout performances from Manchester City. Lauren Hemp doing ever so well. She she said afterwards she was gutted not to get a hat-trick. She said she she doesn't think she's ever scored a hat-trick at any <laughs> level. She she got a couple and, you know, it would have been great. And she she kind of had the assist for the own goal as well, didn't she? Because it was her cross that went yeah. in off Nat Pay. Yeah, and Lauren Hemp back after such a period out. I think, I think she got injured in the, um, in the Community Shield, did she? I can't remember when she picked up her injury, but great to see Lauren Hemp back and she's player of the match as well. And you really get to see, when you watch her in action, Chris, I think you really get to see not only her speed, providing some great balls as well, but also her fearlessness as well. And that's, that's the beauty of Lauren Hemp. That's why she's going to be, she's well on her way to being such a great player. Yeah, completely. And, you know, it's such a great place for her to learn. She she left Bristol City, didn't she, when she was very young a couple of years ago. She'd had a great season there and she's she's gone into that squad. And, you know, despite her her tender years as such, she's very quickly become a, a real key part of the of the first team there. I just wanted to echo as well what you were saying there, Sleggy, about Jill Scott, because that was her first league goal since May 2018. And I really think she can make a huge difference now to this team being back. She looked exactly like she picked up where she left off. And, you know, that those are the sorts of performances and those, you know, those runs that she makes that you want to see from her um, because it, it just opens up defences. And I, I think Jill Scott's still got a lot to offer and I think that performance showed it Mm. what about Villa for you though Linz oh um (laughs) I'm trying to hold back and I don't know why because actually let's give let's give both barrels I think because that's what we would do in any football match um I thought this was woeful from Villa in terms of defense um and I think the early goal that really really hurt them but I think heads dropped and there was just very little confidence. I think they they looked so defeatist after the third goal. Um, there was a fourth goal as well that came from the corner. They didn't even bother defending mm. it. Um, but I thought Lisa Weiss in goal just had a shocker. Um, 
And, you know, we, we don't like just singling out individuals because I think the Villa defence and the keeper, they, they all look disjointed together. They look. I wrote down the word strangers and circled it. They looked like strangers that hadn't played together. But she was, I can't deny, Vice was at fault for two goals uh, in particular. Um, there was the Asante back pass, which Asante had done all the hard work of making sure positionally she was right. She hasn't got the speed that she used to, but she managed to block off, I think it was Ellen White running into the box and managed to play that um, bat pass of which Vice just failed to clear it yeah. even out of the, out of the box um, and that's where a goal came from I mean she should have been hitting that putting her laces through it into the stands and then she got megged I mean she didn't clear the ball properly she was at fault for that that final goal um, and it was a bit of a disaster I thought all round and I, I think in particular at the back because as we spoke about with Bristol City you build from there and it just looks like all these different puzzle pieces don't fit at the moment. And I think they really need bringing together. I mean, they have had a little bit of time off, haven't they? Um, Aston Villa in between games compared to some other teams. But yeah, they, they, they need to get working on that relationship with each other yeah. and knowing knowing where each other is on the pitch. There is definitely a, dis, a disconnect there. And actually Gemma Davis said after the game that the side simply didn't turn up. You could tell she was bitterly disappointed. I don't think she'll take offence to anything that either of you have said about the team's performance. She said it's her job to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And when you say things like that, of course, you need to stick to them. So it'll be interesting uh, to see what training has been like at Villa this week. By the way, uh, if you'd like to find out more about Lauren Hemp, we've been having a quick chat about her uh, player of the match in that game. She features on the Athletics podcast, The Next Big Thing. Yeah, a very good listen, that one. And um, there's plenty uh, in that series, The Next Big Thing, for people to listen to if you're, if you're into football and finding the next hidden gems. On to Everton, Bristol City next. It's been a difficult start to life as caretaker Bristol City manager for Matt Beard. Two Izzy Christensen goals in this one, plus an assist for her, as well as goals from Simone McGill and Megan Finnegan uh, were too much for City. But Matt Beard said after the game, he felt like there was a lot of positives that he could take from the performance. Uh, Sleggy, I know that you were covering this one. This was the the game you had all your beady eyes over, (laughs) all two of them. Uh, What what did you think of the performances? Yeah, I did indeed. Uh, I was commentating on it for the FA player. I, I mean, I, I couldn't see as many positives as Matt Beard. I have to say for Bristol. <laughs> I was going to say as um, well. <laughs> but I, you know, but I guess a key part of his role is is to lift that morale, to keep that morale up. And you know, he was so upbeat um, before the game and coming off the back of their um, quarterfinal win in the Conti Cup last Wednesday against their key relegation rival Aston Villa. I really thought they might give Everton a, a bit of a, a tougher game than they did. Um, but Everton just completely dominated. I mean, it was just wave after wave of attack, and Bristol City just couldn't get out of their own half because they only really have Ebony Salmon as a outlet, who's a phenomenal player, such a talent. But they are so reliant on her; she can take the ball, receive it. You know, she's got she'll make her own chances. She can create chances for for others, but everything goes through her. And if you can't get it to her, then they have no outlet. And Everton just would. They were just non-stop attacking. And um, I think 4-0 was a, certainly a fair reflection. The only thing I would say, just right after half-time, um, Bristol City could well have had a penalty. Yana Daniels looked to me to be pushed over in, in the box and it wasn't given. They were 2-0 down at the time. Had they got one back there, perhaps you know, perhaps it could have been different fine margins. But you look at the table, four points adrift of, of Villa above them. They've played two more games than Villa. 
it's going to be a really, really, really tough. tall order for them to, to find a way to yeah. survive now. And, and Matt Beard has to talk up the positives. I don't blame him for doing that. You know, they've got to believe in themselves right to the end, have any chance. But yeah, I, I really fear that the, the writing is on the wall for them. Well, we said that we would be speaking to Gemma Perfield, and I'm delighted to say that she's actually listening in at the moment. Um, and Gemma, I mean, you weren't part of this match because of the reasons that we've stated but what sort of watch was that one for you yeah it was it was tough to watch you know because obviously we conceded early on which is never never anyone's plan going into a game um but I think the good thing was some positive started to show towards the end of the game we started to get the press right and and really take the game to them a little bit too late obviously but I think it showed some things that Matt was trying to implement towards the end of the game and yeah obviously it was tough to take and it's it's never good to to lose 4-0 but there is certain positives we can take and and look at what you know Matt's trying to do with with the team moving forward. One of the positives to take of course is that you'll be back in action very soon as will Carla and Sophie as well. Uh, your manager has targeted picking up um, or your interim manager I should say has targeted picking up a minimum of 11 points from your remaining 12 games to avoid relegation. So what's he begun to identify as the main areas in the side setup or your game plans that are going to make that happen? Obviously, we've just got to have a bit more grit and determination about us. We can't be conceding goals as easy as we have been. And, and we know that. And, it, and it's tough. Obviously, no one goes out there to concede all those goals. But we've had a lot of injuries. We've had a lot of you know different things happen to us throughout the season with COVID and this, that and the other. And that's the same with everyone. So we can't use that as an excuse. But I think we really do need to get a solid team together that's all on the same page now and, and working towards the same goal. And we have to have that fight to stay up. I think the positive is we have a lot of winnable games left to play of teams around us. Um, it's just getting the game plan right and making sure we execute that and we're up for it and, and we do pick up points in those areas. The semi-final of the Conti Cup has to be you know, a really good opportunity for your side. Great for confidence as well. That's being played against Leicester City in early Feb and I think you can give yourself a big pat on the back for your part in the Conti Cup run as well, can't you Gemma, with that awesome opener uh, against Lewis that saw you make it through to the quarterfinals, which you played last week. What's the buzz like around that competition for you guys? Yeah, I think, look, we obviously want to go as far as we can in that competition and We've got a real chance being in the semi-final. Leicester are going to be tough to play against. They're the best team in the championship right now, so it's going to be a tough game. But it's great that we've got that at home and um, they're a team that obviously are going to, going to be hard to break down. But we're looking to win that and we want to get to a cup final at the end of the day and we want to win a cup. Um, regardless of everything else going on in the league, it's always nice to get a cup run and get some confidence from that. And I think you know the win against Aston Villa the other night showed that we can do that, we can compete with those teams, which also gives us a bit of confidence in the league. Look, you're part of a very forward-thinking club as well, Gemma. You know, I think everyone was delighted to to see that Tanya was going to get some maternity leave and, you know, Matt's the interim boss, but then he'll go and she'll come back. I mean, how comforting is a, for a squad was that for, for you to know that you've got that sort of support? Yeah, it's been fantastic. You know, the club have been brilliant with Tanya and we all wish her the best. And personally, I can't thank Tanya enough you know, for this first half of the season and, and what she's done for me personally. But obviously, as a club, we're all really excited for Matt to come in. Um, although I've not met him yet, he has called me a couple of times and, you know, kept me in the loop. And I think his style of, you know, management's going to be really good for us uh, in the position we're in right now. He's obviously a high-profile manager and, you know, won the WSL and been with various WSL clubs. So 
we can't really ask for much more in terms of an interim manager. I think he's going to be fantastic for us. And yeah, I'm really excited to get him back and working with him. Yeah. Get screening his calls occasionally because he might be on the, the hunt to try and get someone to homeschool his kids. He's always on social media about that. Uh, <laughs> moaning about the maths, isn't he? I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. You obviously joined. <laughs> you obviously joined Bristol in the summer after leaving Liverpool, um, Gemma. We know that Vicky Jepson left the club last week. Um, can we get a, sort of a, a bit of reaction for you on that? It, it was obviously a, a really tough decision for Vicky to leave. She'd been there for so long, and it it leaves the club perhaps in even more of a state of flux. I think at the moment, which for me as a Liverpool fan. It's quite sad to see, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, Vicky, she'd been fantastic for the club and that, and she'd been there for 10 years and she's really had an impact on women's football and bringing young players through. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. It must have been, you know, an incredibly difficult position for her to be in. And, and yeah, you, you've got, it's always hard. You know, 10 years at a club, it's going to be hard. But, you know, she was brilliant. Um, she offered me my first professional contract on personal note, so... Um, I can't thank her enough for that. And yeah, just wish her all the best moving forward. I think maybe a bit of time out will help her figure out where she wants to go next and what she wants to do. But in terms of a new manager, I mean, they're a big club. I'm sure they can attract her a good name if they put the money out there for it. And everyone wants to see Liverpool back in the WSL as, you know, as a brand. They're, they're a top team. Just before we let you go, Gemma, are you likely to be back in the team for this this game against Chelsea next? Um, I'm hoping to to potentially be in the squad. I think it's got lots going to depend on you know loaded injury wise and everything else. Yeah, I've still returned a negative test, so I'm hoping to be back ASAP. And I mean, the club have been fantastic in supporting us, but obviously the physical demands of a game after ten days out of training is probably going to be a push. So I'm not sure if I'll be I'll be featuring or not, or if I could just be in the squad. But whatever it is, I'll be happy to be out of isolation and um, supporting the girls no matter what. So. Yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed. If not, it'll be the week after against Brighton. Gemma, it's been really lovely to speak to you. Take care. I hope you uh, get those boots on and get out there as soon as possible. That's Gemma Perfield, uh, who's the fullback for Bristol City. Thank you. You're listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Dean's Media and The Athletic. Next, on to a match that would have been of keen interest to both Manchester United and Chelsea. They must have had one eye on this one and the relief as well for Manchester United to see that Arsenal drop points in this. Reading won, Arsenal won. Uh, Reading scored early. They defended really well as well against a frustrated Arsenal side. Former Arsenal players Lauren Bruton and Emma Mitchell combined for Reading's goal. Vivian Miedemar equalised before half-time. Arsenal did go on to have several chances to claim the victory, but Grace Maloney held strong in Reading's goal and I guess Chris uh, this is it isn't it drop points for Arsenal are they starting to slip out the title race I think so I I can't see I think it's already beyond them I really do I think that it can happen that quickly in the WSL and I I mean I didn't see the whole game I've seen the highlights and obviously read everything about it and it just feels it it just feels a bit flat there it just feels like the energy is gone um and I, I don't quite know why, but it, something just doesn't feel quite right. Is it the furore of of what happened with um, Dubai Gate and all the fallout from that? Is there a bit of I think uh, so, Chris, upset in the camp about mm. perhaps some players feel let down? I don't know, but something really did not sit right about that performance, and and nothing that's taking nothing away from Reading, who I'm always impressed by because I think Kelly Chambers gets a hundred percent out of every player nearly every week to the maximum of their potential and every season they they just you know they 
do what they should do to finish as high as they can. But yeah, I, I think already the, the league is beyond Arsenal, I would say. And I've, I've rarely seen them under Joe Montemuro look as mm. flat as that. I should say there's a, probably a lot going on behind the scenes here, Chris, that as you've alluded, because especially when we saw new manager names coming on the market, I was surprised at, on social media how many people were linking that to Arsenal and Joe Montemuro potentially moving on. I hadn't seen that pressure coming, but it looks like it's there. Um, speaking of this melting pot, Kate, what else did mm. you notice with them? Well, I think Chris is really um, right to identify Dubai Gate, as I've as I've decided to call it. Um, Joe Montemuro, after the game, said it's basically tough when there are a lot of distractions, and I think he's clearly alluding to that. Uh, he said whether it's important ones like protocols for the players or not, uh, we just need to get playing football again and find a good rhythm. And that rhythm was, you know, one of the crucial points as to why this game didn't go well. Uh, he also mentioned uh, correctly that Arsenal will usually just try and pass their way out, but here everything needed two to three touches. So it became more difficult, a lot less flowing. They felt constricted. And that back three as well, it was a bit of an experimental back three, returning debutant Anna Patton, Lotta Wuben Moy and Katie McCabe just didn't look sure of themselves from the start. They conceded that set piece within the first five minutes. So a few issues there all thrown in that just mean that Arsenal are not, as Joe says, hitting that rhythm at the moment. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Only two more games left to cover. West Ham nil, Spurs one. Spurs scoring with their only shot on target in this match. Lucy Quinn slotted home a Gemma Davison ball uh, across the box in the 35th minute. West Ham had nine shots on target. They couldn't find a breakthrough. Uh, despite the result, New Hammers manager Ollie Harder said he was already seeing signs of the pressing style that he wants to implement. Did both of you see those signs as well? Uh, I mean, if you look at the stats, yes, he's still got a lot of work to do, but I like the fact that he's relishing the challenge and look, you know, as we discussed earlier, perhaps Manchester United's pressing style has caught his eye and that's what he wants to do. Yeah, I think there's plenty there for Ollie Harder to work with. I think, you know, West Ham have underperformed, you know, that that played a part in, in Matt Beard leaving the club. Um, you know, I'm sure he would take joint responsibility, him and the players, for some reason, couldn't get the maximum potential out of that. But I think Ollie Harder will have seen enough from that team to to suggest that they're certainly going to climb away from that relegation place and hopefully build towards next season pushing onwards and upwards. He's got a real task on his hands though, hasn't he? No Rachel Daly. I think she'll be a huge miss for them. Um, and then for Rianne Skinner, you know, also in a new job, recorded her third straight win. There's, there's confidence now in that Tottenham side. Yeah, I think you can really see that as well. I'm really pleased for her too. Um, she spoke to us last week, didn't she, on the podcast, Rianne, about the confidence and the belief and they got the job done, um, albeit not against kind of stellar top four sides. Um, and that challenge will come when they meet Everton at the weekends. It'll be really interesting, a really interesting marker for Spurs, really, and the success that Rianne Skinner's had with the team so far. All right, well, we'll move on to the final game, uh, a nil-nil draw, this one, and a struggle for two COVID and injury hit sides, Birmingham City and Brighton. Both managers relatively happy, though, with the point, given the circumstances, especially keeping a clean sheet. What did you make of this one, Chris? Yeah, and I, I can see why they're both happy because they have had a, a tough time with the injuries with the COVID situation. You know, Birmingham have been going into games with just two players on the bench sometimes um, this season. At least they had four 
this weekend. And, you know, I don't think anyone was expecting there to be much in that game. Um, neither club have scored many goals this season. I think it's just 16 between the two of them, isn't it, I think? Um, so <laughs> I think we kind of got what we were expecting mm-hmm. and I think both managers would be happy with that that point just to edge them ever closer to safety and, and another season in the WSL. Yeah, no shot on target actually, Chris, for Birmingham in this match. But I'd suggest that it's even more of a concern for Brighton and even bigger problem for them finding the back of the net. You know, seven goals in 11 matches. Um, At least with Birmingham, they have got a couple of games in hand on Brighton. They've had nine from nine. And if if you don't get burying some of these chances, it's really going to leave you in, in quite a struggle. And I think that's what Brighton have been up against all season. But thankfully for them, there are a couple of teams worse off at the moment. But in another season, if they, if they had this sort of form, they'd they'd really be towards the bottom, if not at the foot of the the table. So I think I think there's a lot for for both of these teams to work on. They have had a lot to deal with, um, but trying to get those breakthroughs and creative opportunities first. That's what they need to do. Should we crack on with a few news lines then? Uh, a lot of this concerns international sides. And the news finally, we thought it was going to be last week, didn't we, producer Flo? I, th- I, w- I, was, I was sure it was going to be within days. But finally, we've heard this week that Phil Neville has left his role as England head coach. The FA will announce uh, the interim head coach in February. Of course, we're still waiting to hear about Team GB as well. And I think there's still a vacant position there because of Rianne Skinner leaving. We've been hearing this morning as we record this on a Tuesday uh, that Norway legend Hega Risa is set to become the interim coach. Tom Gary from The Telegraph also backing that up and saying actually she might only be in place for England's February training camp and if that goes well then the FA will see where it goes from there. If that is the case, Chris, that's a cracking signing. She's a bit of a legend of the women's game and her consistency in terms of managing domestic side over in Norway is second to none. Yeah, absolute legend as a player. Um, you know, winning the uh, 2000 Olympics, the, the European Championship in 93, the, the World Cup in 95. She was player of the tournament, the Golden Ball at the 95 World Cup and also player of the tournament at Euro 93. And as you say, great job at LSK, um, um, getting into the Champions League quarterfinals in, in 2019 and being on the shortlist for the best FIFA women's coach of the year last year. And it's it's a, it's a great appointment. And, you know, I kind of feel it's like it's, it's win-win on, on all sides. She was saying she was seeking a new challenge. She has stepped aside from that um, head coach posi- position at, at LSK uh, just before Christmas. And, you know, it's such a weird situation in international football at the moment. We've got this February window where there might be England friendlies. It might just be a training camp. There's even been talk perhaps of some sort of mini tournament that you would imagine would have to be the home nations, wouldn't it? Because you can't really travel anywhere else. Um, and I can't see why. I mean, they're saying it's just for that window to, to start with. But then there's another international window in April. It's highly likely she will yeah, surely, um, surely. stay on for that one unless <laughs> things go terribly wrong in this <laughs> This first window. But um, yeah, legend of the game, brilliant player, great coach. And what I loved about her her comments in a, in that article, there's an article on the FIFA website when she was nominated for the um, Among the Best Coaches where she said she, 
she wants to get the best out of every single player and and you don't get that with every manager she you know she sees value in in a team ethos they're showing real ambition aren't they with the with these appointments and i think that's what people want to see i think in times gone by we might have talked about previous wsl coaches currently out of work and thinking would they be in with with a shout but i i honestly think that the the fa have laid down their marker now that we we want someone who's won things and we we want someone in place that is going to really inspire th- this group yeah. of players because they're not going to be around forever, are they? They're, they're a really good group at the moment. We want to make the most of them. And let's not forget that the England team is the most heavily invested team, women's football team in the world. Certainly was at the World Cup in 2019 and I don't think it's changed now. So don't forget that the appeal of coming to England with such a well-resourced team is also there as well. I like the fact that a couple of things that she said, Risa, are quite Serena Weigman-esque. She says, as a coach, my style is to listen more than I speak. I look to involve my players in decisions to give them trust and also I hope some calmness to do their jobs and when you talk about an interim manager you either get someone who needs to go in and bulldoze things and perhaps that's what Matt Beard's going to do for example at Bristol City or you get a manager who's just calm and holds the fort until the mega name the mega signing Wiegmann comes in so I think you know tactically the FA have got this one right as well Speaking of managerial news Jane Ludlow she left her Wales role by mutual consent um, she'll be taking up a role in a leadership team at FIFA and is also allowed to pursue other managerial roles that's the key point within all of this I think lots of people wondering you know maybe Team GB I would say I don't think so I don't think it's the Team GB job I think she's been linked to this Liverpool job would you agree? I think that I, I can't. She's not going to be walking away from from management. So you'd think maybe there's something in the pipeline. Tough gig um, though. Tough. Liverpool gig, that would one. make sense. She was she was linked, wasn't she, with with the West Ham? That's gone now. But before Christmas, people were saying maybe she was heading there. I mean, when I first heard the news, because it happened at exactly the same time as Neville, I did think Team GB, <laughs> and I did think, well, Wales are not allowed to kind of openly promote. Um, the players or the coach as, as being involved. They're not going to stand against the Team GB, but I did think, well, maybe that would make it easier for her to, to take I know, that. I think it would make it harder. Offer. I think it would be the opposite. Well, I think it would make it tough, yeah. Yeah, and, and actually, you know, what's happened in the... Things are moving so fast, what's happened since then, that, that makes it look mm. unlikely. So so if there's a, a job in, in, in the top echelons of the women's game, well, Liverpool's an obvious vacancy... As we were saying earlier, there's been a lot of whispers around what might happen next at Arsenal, where she was such an immense player, winning the FA Cup there six times, you know, a, a great captain of the team as well. Um, but yeah, given that there is a vacancy at, at a very uh, prestigious club in Liverpool, then perhaps that is uh, a potential move in the offing. Um, listen, talking of links uh, to Arsenal, uh, uh, another international manager who has that is Shelley Kerr. She left her position as manager of Scotland on Christmas Eve. So her name also has been floated around. Um, or maybe she's a prime candidate for the Team D- GB job. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I think this has thrown us, hasn't it, with Risa coming in? Because you'd think that if it goes well surely she'll be taken on for that. But I do think that Shelley Kerr, given that she went to the last World Cup and got Scotland, I think they really perform well under her. Um, it could be considered. But then talking about the ambition status, you know, maybe maybe it's not quite the level that, that she needs to be at at the moment. 
OK, well, let's return back to a bit of domestic news. The draw for the semi-finals of the Conti Cup has been made. So we're going to see City, Manchester City or Chelsea against West Ham United or Durham. And the one that's fixed, as we mentioned earlier, with Jemmet, Bristol City versus Leicester City. Both those ties take place at the beginning of February. The remaining two quarterfinals, by the way, are due to be played this week. So City against Chelsea and West Ham against Durham. They take place on Wednesday and on Thursday. Thursday. Should we take a quick look at the fixtures at the weekend? We've mentioned a couple of these already. Uh, Chris, I'm not sure if there are a couple that stand out to you. I noticed that we've got another London derby. Arsenal taking on West Ham on Sunday. Tough gig again for West Ham, but can they perhaps, can Oli Harder take advantage of an Arsenal that's slightly discombobulated at the moment? Yeah, I think that is, we all want to see if, if that was just a blip from Arsenal and how they respond to it really. And yeah, a real chance for for the new West Ham manager to send his team out against uh, one of the strongest teams and see what they can deliver for him. So definitely a lot of interest in that. And as we were saying earlier, you know, I, I feel that um, Everton have, have really impressed for, for most of this season. Yes, they had that dip. Um, but I was really interested to read Willie Kirk's comments before the Bristol City game where he has not ruled out qualifying for the Champions League this season, mm. and I thought that was a very ambitious thing to say, um, but perhaps he does. You know, he does see perhaps in Arsenal that they're they're not going to be, uh, um, you know, that he has a chance of chasing them down. Um, so Everton are away to Tottenham. Tottenham going great guns under Rian Skinner, three wins out of three. Um, so I think that's a really intriguing uh, contest, that one as well. Yeah, and then you've got catch-up for Aston Villa because they've got two fixtures within this game week. They play Reading women on Saturday and then uh, next Wednesday they're going to be playing Chelsea. So you've got both of those. All right, well, we'll wrap things up there. Quick plug for how you can get through to us here on the Offside Rule and the WSL edition at Offside Rule Pod on socials. That's on Insta and on Twitter. Always some great content to keep across on our website too, offsiderulepodcast.com. Recent pieces up. Well, every week you get a five things we learned from the weekend's WSL action. That coming from Jesse Parker Humphreys. There's also a roundup of European action. There's a couple of specials coming through as well. There's a piece on Phil Neville uh, to arrive and also something on uh, Rihanna Jarrett as well. So, yeah, some really good stuff. Men's and women's content up there. Absolutely. And listening wise as well, there's still the last exclusive that we did with Laura Bassett. If you've not listened to that yet, it is available. You can find it via our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, that's right, Miss Hooper. Well, time for us to say goodbye now to those of you listening, but also a thank you to Chris Slegg from the BBC, who's joined us on today's show. Very much the point to our triangle. Thanks, Chris. Thank you very much. Always good to be a point. In a, in a triangle or a square or a, <laughs> circles don't even a happen corner. I'm uh, glad I made my presence felt <laughs> so thanks from us thanks for listening and we'll be back again next week you've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition part of the Athletic Podcast Network keep up to date with everything Offside Rule at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app the Offside Rule WSL edition is a Money Knees Media production. The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.